Shall we continue to discuss the joyful practice of bodhisattvas in the world of suffering? Yes. 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 <laughs> How can they be joyful in the world of suffering? By doing the practice. They're, they're so happy to be in the world of suffering and to play with living beings so they can learn the true dharma so they can attune to the true dharma so they can attune to the intimate transmission which is what we already are they're very joyful about being able to practice that way Someone in this assembly said something like this to me. I, maybe, I don't know if I said welcome or, I, or, or if the person said, when something really difficult comes, how should we relate to it? And I said, welcome it. I don't know if that's what happened, but something like that. And then the person said, where did that welcome come from? Uh, and I think, in other words, the person was thinking, usually when something really bad, painful, horrible, cruel comes, the normal animal response is to, you know, fight, fight it, run away from it, or faint. (laughs) (laughs) This is like Welcome it with your eyes open and don't, without moving, without moving, welcome it. Welcome it in silence and stillness. Where did that come from? And I said, it comes from the Dharmakaya. It comes from the true body of Buddha. But today I'm saying, I kind of don't agree with that. (laughs) Sometimes we say the true body of Buddha is like space. And or, and it responds to the needs of living beings. It doesn't hold anything, but when, but when uh, living beings um, call, it listens, it responds according to their needs. This response to the needs of living beings, this response to the cries of suffering beings, that relationship is where welcome comes. The welcome comes out of this intimate communion. It doesn't come from the side of the vast, spacious, great compassion. It doesn't come from the great compassion. The great compassion does respond, but the wondrous thing of a human being saying welcome instead of go away, get out of here, I hate you, etc. Instead of that, because of this communion, the living being can give voice to the communion 
And the communion says, welcome. Normal human beings are fabricators, are constructors. This, this realm of communion is unconstructed. It's the way all the constructors are relating to each other. And the way the constructors, the humans and other living beings, are relating to each other, that's not constructed. It dependently co-arises. It is creation. And it's not constructed. However, even though it's not constructed, or as we say, even though it's not fabricated, it's not without speech. This intimate communion can talk. It can think. It can think thoughts like, I wish to realize unsurpassed awakening for the welfare of the world. That thought doesn't arise from the Buddhas. The Buddhas don't come up to us and make that thought arise. They come up to us and interact with us. And in the interaction between us and Buddhas, between us and perfect awakening, we realize, or it can happen, that this funny thing arises, like welcome, like the Bodhi mind can arise. The Bodhi mind, it doesn't arise from the sentient being. I don't make it arise. It does arise sometimes, but I don't, and, and I can, and I, and even when I say, thank you for coming, Bodhi mind, I didn't make that thank you come all by myself. That thank you is a particular example of this intimate communion. Everything is a particular example of this intimate communion. Everything is. That's the way things already are. They are particular examples of this boundless process of creation that's always such always thus. Now we have it. We have a chance to take care of it. And the main way to take care of it is to attune to it. We're already included. We're already inside of it, beyond inside and outside. There's no, we're, we're, we're totally <coughs> intimate with this intimacy, with no inside or outside. We are already including everything, and we're already included in everything. That's already the case. Now the question is, how to attune to this teaching of suchness? How to attune to this intimate transmission? I didn't expect this, but this this hand came up. I kind of felt it coming up, but it, still, when it came up, I was kind of surprised. <laughs> what I what I was kind of intending to do was just to say that, you know, whatever you do, 
Whatever you do. <laughs> to do it without seeking anything beyond what you just did. To sit, not seeking any great enlightenment, not seeking peace, not seeking harmony, just sit. That way of sitting, that way of raising your hand, you will be surprised by your sitting and you will be surprised by your hand. That way of yeah, can you surprised by this hand. It keeps moving in ways that I did not expect. It's like moving, it, you know. Can you see how much it's moving? Those hands are like, you could say quivering or whatever. Anyway, all that stuff that's going on there, I'm not, I'm not in control of it. Anyway, and also I'm not seeking for something more than this hand, what it's doing. And in that way, our daily life, our thoughts, our speech, and our postural offerings are opportunities for this Buddha mind, for this intimate transmission. There are places where it can live. And it already is where they live. But if we don't offer every act I shouldn't say every, this action, if we don't offer it, we miss it. And if we offer it and look for, well, where is the intimate transmission? We miss it. I offer it without expecting anything. Okay, now... Yesterday, and also the day before, I guess, I brought up this, these ten practices, these ten joyful practices of this bodhisattva called Samantabhadra. In this flower adornment scripture, he says, Here's ten practices which I'm gonna, which I vow to do. And we talked about five of them. And then I thought maybe today we could talk about the next five, and maybe we will. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but although I'm not trying to control, I think I'd like to, if you would support me, spend a little more time, one more eon, on the first five. May we? We still might get to the next, but I think the first five need a little more attention. Okay? <laughs> uh, some of you know what the first one is, right? What is it? Homage. 
homage, the first of the practices is homage to all Buddhas. Again, this today I'm emphasizing that this practice of paying homage is a practice of attunement. Attunement with the mind of Buddha. Attunement with intimate transmission. It's attunement with the way things actually are now. So we bow to Buddhas to attune with reality. So when we bow, again, it seems like uh, I'm here, Buddha's there, or, you know, this is bowing, this is bowed to. Okay? So you, you do the prostration and you notice maybe a little lack of attunement. A little bit like what I'm, what's, the bowing and what's bowed to are kind of a little bit different. They're not, maybe, I don't, I don't kind of, yeah. Or me and the bowing is a little different. So by doing this attunement exercise, we often notice maybe a lack of attunement. Like, for example, how many more bows are there? (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I have better things to do. (laughs) What's this got to do with peace and freedom in the world? I remember a story, I don't know if I heard this, I I didn't hear it directly from the horse's mouth. It's about a a woman named Ermgard Schlegel, who is, I think, German. She went to Japan, uh, you know, during the Beatnik era, the 50s, and she studied Zen, and she, I guess, um, she got some affirmation and prediction from some Zen, Zen teacher or two. And so she came back to Europe and taught Zen. But she talked about when she was in Japan and she was doing prostrations and uh, she went to study Zen, but she didn't think that prostrations were going to be part of it. When I went to study Zen, I didn't really think necessarily prostrations were going to be part of it. I kind of thought it because I remember some images of people lining up to meet the teacher and going in and bowing to the teacher. And I kind of like that form, you know. Ding, guan bao, hey. <laughs> Ding, guan bao, hey. I kind of thought that was an interesting game. But I didn't really think much about the bowing. And she didn't either. She thought Zen was interesting and attractive. But then she went to practice and she found out quite a bit of homage Homage was part of the practice. Paying homage to Buddhas and Bodhisattvas was part of the practice. And she thought it was a little... She had some resistance to it. I don't exactly know. I guess she thought it was irrelevant to Zen, to what's important in life. So so anyway, when she was bowing one time, she was bowing and she was thinking, this is uh, kind of silly. What am I doing here? She saw that and she observed, or I shouldn't say she observed, there was an observation of a resistance and a 
kind of a ridicule of, of the activity which was going on. But then there was also an observation that somebody was bowing really wholeheartedly at the same time. So there was one who was resisting, and then there was one who was bowing wholeheartedly. And there was awareness of those two, those two ways going on simultaneously in this case. I don't like this bowing and bowing. This reminds me of another story, which is one that you may have heard before. One day, one of our ancestors, number 37. <laughs> what's, what's the 37th ancestor? <laughs> Union. What's 38? Dungshan. What's 36? Yaoshan, and so on. So, the 37th was sweeping the ground in the temple. Just like we do here. And his Dharma brother came up to him and said, You're too busy. And Yunyan said, You should know that there's one who is not busy. And the Dharma brother said, Well, then are there two moons? And Yunyan raised his broom and said, Which moon is this? So I thought of that because when Erngar Schlegel was, was bowing, her Dharma brother or Dharma sister could have come over to her and said, while she was bowing, could have said, you're too busy. And she could say, yeah, but you should know that there's one here who's not busy. In that bowing, I saw the busy one and the not busy one. The busy one was bowing and commenting on the bowing. The busy one actually wasn't even bowing. The busy one was just commenting on the bowing. This is silly. But some people bow and they say, this is great, I love this. <laughs> They're bowing and this is so great, I love bowing, I love it, I love it. <laughs> and then your dharma, your dharma friend can come up and say, you're too busy. But even though you think this bowing is great and you're, that's busyness, or you could even be thinking, if I bow enough a few more times, I'm going to be like totally enlightened. <laughs> and so, uh, you're, that, you're too busy if I bow much longer I'm going to miss lunch you're too busy <laughs> there's a busy one and there's one that's just a bow of a person and which, which and it's like there's two moons there's the busy one there's the one who's out of, attu- out of attunement and then there's just the attune, there's just the attunement. And those which one is which one is this? Well they're they're in intimate communion. So I'm telling that story again about her this this woman bowing 
and as an example of intimate communion between being a wholeheartedness and half-heartedness. They're in intimate communion too. However, we need to practice wholeheartedness to attune with how wholeheartedness is intimate with half-heartedness. If we don't attune, it's still the way things are. But the lack of attunement makes this communion almost like the distance from here to Mars. It's almost like there's no communion around here. Whereas if you're in attunement, it's realized as what's going on right now. Attunement. And then the next practice of attunement is praising Buddhas, praising the virtues of Buddhas. Praising great compassion, praising great wisdom, praising great loving kindness, praising great patience, praising great ethical training, praising great general, praising the virtues of Buddhas. That's a that's a way to attune. That's a way to notice if there's any lack of attunement. And by continuing that practice, we come into attunement. And the next one is a big one. It's going to get a lot of mileage today. (laughs) Making offerings to all Buddhas. In every action of body, speech, and thought. This is an attunement practice. If you're doing prostrations and you do them wholeheartedly, it's an attunement practice. And you can just 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 prostrate. That's the only practice you have to do, I guess. However, Samantha offers some other ones. But they are also attunement practices. Actually, I think I just said, if you get in, if you do prostrate, prostrations, if you do uh, homage, and you do it wholeheartedly, you're attuned. You're attuned with the Buddha mind. You don't have to do anything else. But since you don't have to do anything else because you're attuned with Buddha mind, these other practices are calling you to do them too. They want you to round out this perfect practice by doing them. You verify that this wholeheartedness can be done in these other dimensions. Anyway, back to offerings. So in the sutra, Samantabhadra mentions all kinds of offerings. Not all, many, many types of offerings. But that's just a brief sample of the offerings. Because he then he says, and in every action, so to make every action, infinite action, to make them all offerings. So offer incense and candles and flowers and food and sutras, but also offer every action. 
This is another attunement practice. And here, one of the main aspects of the attunement is to make offerings so wholeheartedly that you're not expecting anything from the offering. This is a generosity practice, right? But you're offering it to something that, that we're trying to attune with. And so all the more when we make offerings in that way, we have a chance to notice if there's a slight discrepancy between the offering and anything else, between the one who's offering and the one who's offered to. And number four is to reveal, after, after noticing that there's some discrepancy, after noticing, for example, that you just made a great <coughs> offering to a great being and you were trying to get something. Many people come and meet me. Thank you so much for coming to meet me. And they say, I confess I'm trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get your approval. Etc. But that's one of the things that people often say, that they're trying to get my approval. And I say, thanks for saying that. I almost always say thank you to them for letting me know that they're trying to get my approval. They kind of know that that's not really appropriate. That's why they're confessing. They know they're not supposed to be going into the room to get something. Hello, Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) If if you love Buddha, you don't try to get anything from Buddha. You give to Buddha, right? Buddha gives to you, you give to Buddha, right? Even so, sometimes, okay, yeah, fine. I want to get something from Buddha. I want to get something from the teacher. They confess it. This is the fourth practice of Samantabhadra. To confess when you're trying to get something from Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. To, to confess that you're trying to get intimate transmission, which is an oxymoron. Trying to get it, you the, trying to get it, we don't destroy the intimate communion by trying to get it. We can't you can't get away from it. It's indestructible, it's reality. But we can be allowed to get out of tune with it. And the way to get out of tune with it is to try to get it. And then when you're out of tune with it, then it's like, there's no intimate transmission around here. This is just a wasteland of greed, hatred, and delusion. I'm out of tune because I tried to get something. And I'm confessing it now. And this confession is highly praised. It's a virtue, confessing that we're trying to get something from an offering. That confession is highly praised. The trying to get something is less often praised. 
Occasionally it's praise just to make things more interesting. Oh, we have a greedy person. Please come up here. I'd like to introduce you to everybody. <laughs> In one Zen monastery, the monks came to the teacher and said, Teacher, uh, somebody... Uh, no, somebody. They didn't say somebody. A lot of our bowls are disappearing. Now, in this excessively affluent world we live in today, people might think, a bowl? What's the big deal about a bowl? But in ancient times, a bowl was a kind of valuable object. And so, anyway, the monks had bowls and they needed them, and their bowls were disappearing from the dining area. And so one might think a person or maybe a fox came and took (laughs) took the bowls away. Thanks, Zach. (laughs) Anyway, that was that, okay? Want to hear the rest of the story? So then it it was reported to the teacher, hello, teacher, Uh, we... we, um, we found in one of the monks' rooms a lot of bowls. <laughs> and in the story of Bodhidharma, you know, he transmitted the bowl and the robe to his disciple. So the bowl is not only a useful, practical thing for a monk to have, but it sometimes is given as a, as a sign of approval. Anyway, they found a lot of bowls in one of the monks' rooms. In other words, it seemed like they found somebody who was trying to take something to get something. So the teacher said, okay, everybody, get, gather all the bowls in the monastery and put them in that room. <laughs> <coughs> intimate transmission. But it was intimate transmission before Two, when the intimate transmission was there when the bowls disappeared, but there was a lack of attunement. Then they found all these bowls in the monk's room. There was a lack of attunement. The teacher attuned it. Put all the bowls in there. Now we're, now we're talking. <laughs> now we have, there's no separation. Which there wasn't before either. So when I say now there is, what I mean is now we're attuned to the thieves and the good monks are intimate communion. The theme and the great monk are intimate. The great monk and the ordinary monk are actually in intimate transmission. That act was an act to express the transmission, not to say somebody's out of it. Okay, so then uh, we have back to confession. I told you that Shakyamuni Buddha not only praised the virtue of confession and encouraged it, but also practiced it himself. So I know at least two really good stories about Shakyamuni Buddha confessing uh, a lack of attunement 
in his pre-Buddhist phase. Before Buddha was a Buddha, he was just like us. Before he was a Buddha, he was sometimes in attunement and sometimes not. Just like you are. Sometimes you're in attunement and everything's great. And sometimes you're not. And, you know, that's that. So, here's Shakyamuni Buddha talking about himself when he was a bodhisattva. And uh, Brendan, do you by any chance have a copy of the Shobogenzo with you? You don't carry it with you everywhere you go? <laughs> it's okay, don't worry. You have one? Is it, you have it with you right now? No. <laughs> it's in the kitchen? Do you have all the whole thing? Okay, great. Uh, I won't ask you to go get it, but... There's, there's a Shobogenzo, is, uh, there's various editions, but there's a lot of, you know, one edition 75, one edition 60... And sometimes they combine, and one edition is 12. Sometimes they combine the 12 and the 75. You get 82. But sometimes they gather some other ones and you get 95. Anyway, there's a lot of essays in this, in these various versions of the Treasury of True Dharma Eyes. And one of the fascicles in this collection is called Making Offerings to All Buddhas by the way. So, in that chapter, he's, he's recommending making offerings to all Buddhas as a, as, a, as a great bodhisattva practice. And then the Buddha. And then the Buddha mentions that when the Buddha was a bodhisattva, the Buddha did that practice. So the Buddha was like Samantavadra. He, he vowed and did the practice of making offerings to Buddhas, to a lot of Buddhas, to innumerable Buddhas. So then he says, and, and one of the Buddhas, he, I think, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, one of the Buddhas he made offerings to was named Shakyamuni. And then he made offerings to another Buddha, who I think might have named, been named Shakyamuni. But I'm not sure about that. Anyway, he definitely made offerings to a Buddha, and he made extensive offerings to Buddha for a long period of time. Okay? Are you with me? Who who are we talking about now? Shakyamuni Buddha, when he was a bodhisattva. What did he do? He served Buddhas. How did he serve Buddhas? Well, he praised them, he made paid homage to them, and what else did he do? He made offerings. <laughs> offerings, basically, of all kinds of services. So he made these offerings, and then he said, but that Buddha that I made the offerings to did not confirm me, did not predict me to Buddhahood. Why? Because I was trying to get something from the Buddha. Because I was making these fabulous offerings with a grasping mind. The Buddha confessed, I did all these good things. Yes, wasn't bragging, just I did these good things. 
But I was trying to get something. I so I wasn't in attunement. So the Buddha did not say, "Hey, you're in attunement." Attunement. No, no. You missed. You missed Bodhisattva. But that's not the end of the story. Then he went on and <laughs> made offerings to another Buddha, maybe with the same name, again extensively. But that Buddha did not affirm my practice, did not affirm my attunement with the mind of the great sage of India. Why? Because I was still trying to get something. And then again, 13 times at least, at least in the translation I have, or in the Shobogenzo, 13 times, he went to Buddhas and made great offerings. And the Buddha said, thanks for the offerings. (laughs) And he didn't say, and I said, well, what about the affirmation? What about the approval? What about the seal of approval? Hey, he didn't, he didn't go that far. He just made the offerings and he noticed, this, I'm not getting affirmation here. Why? Oh, I see why. I'm trying to get something from the Buddha. I'm not just serving the Buddha. I'm trying to get something from the Buddha. Kind of like stealing, right? Taking what's not given. The Buddha is confessing this to us in this sutra. And the name of the sutra is the Dharma Treasury Buddha. No, it's called the Buddha Treasury Sutra. And this, this chapter about the offerings is one of the chapters in this more, much more extensive sutra. But this is the chapter that Doug is bringing up now. And it's called Making Offerings to All Buddhas. And he tells the story. He confesses and repents and confesses and repents and confesses and repents and confesses and repents and confesses confesses 13 times. And maybe the 13th or the 14th times, I went to this Buddha, and this Buddha's name was Flaming Lamp Buddha, Dipankara Buddha. And I made offerings to this Buddha, again, extensively. And in making the offerings, he discovered that the the non-origination of everything. He discovered the non-origination of everything. So he realized there's nothing to get. And so he didn't try to get anything. But he got something. What did he get? He got affirmation of attunement. By continually making offerings, we might realize that there's nothing to get by these offerings. And then we'll stop trying to get something. And then there's attunement. But we need this practice for attunement. Can you, can you make all these gifts and notice the lack of attunement and confess and repent 
until you finally make the offering and see there's nothing to get and don't not try to get anything. So he did not, he finally did, it doesn't say in the, in, in the sutra, and he'd stop trying to get something. It just said he saw this non-origination of all things. And in that vision, you see there's nothing to get, so you don't, you, see, you give up trying to get something by your good deeds. You continue to do good deeds, but as only as gifts, only for the sake of the gift, the giving. So here Shakyamuni Buddha doing this practice with Samantabhadra is vowing to do, and vowing to do it until Samantabhadra learns how to make the offerings like the Buddha made, learned to make them. But, even, but between now and this vision of the non-origination of all things, which also is called the acceptance that things don't really happen. Things don't happen. Things don't happen. What are things? Things are realization. What are things? Things are intimate communion. Intimate communion doesn't happen. Reality doesn't happen. And it doesn't not happen. It's just reality. Reality doesn't happen. We're into things happening and not happening. So it's hard for us to accept a reality that's beyond happening. And it's not that, you know, reality is the non-happening of all the things we think are happening. And when when we attune to that reality, we stop trying to get something. Is something happening out there? (laughs) You're right. As usual. <laughs> I saw a bunch of eyes going over there. I thought maybe a bird was penetrating the... the, the, the is that glass or plastic? Glass. It's glass. Covered by plastic. <laughs> so that's to show how kind of in a way appropriate it is that you do these practices for attuning to the Buddhas, homage, praise, and offerings, but then you notice you're not attuned. You're messing it up a little bit. You're, you're getting caught in your comments about your practice. You're trying to get something. And, you, and then number four, number one, number four, number two, number four, number three, number four, number one, number four. You keep trying to do these practices and you keep noticing a little, a little, little bit, a hair, there's a hair's breadth deviation there. <laughs> a subtle, tiny lack of attunement, a final, what is it? A, 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 a slight lack, a slight, a slight difference lacks attunement. So again, uh, all of these practices, like for example, sitting, they're practices for attuning to reality. Not to get it, it's a, you already have it. They're practices for attuning to what we are. And noticing in the practice that we're 
doing something to disturb the attunement. Something that kind of says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not this intimate transmission. I'm a little bit separate and I want it. (laughs) So, yeah. And then we move on to more attunement practices. Now go, now you've been praising the Buddhas, now praise the virtues of Buddhas and all living beings. It's an attunement practice. It's an attunement practice. I was talking to somebody about tears of joy when we see someone do something really beautiful. Like when you see these, these figure skaters go flying in the air and spinning and landing. It's like you feel such joy at their virtue. And it's just so lovely to see how, how virtuous they are. And we're in attunement with them when we feel that joy. When we just feel joy. And we feel joy if they're from Russia, Ukraine, Somalia, South America, Mexico, the United States, China. Wherever they're from, we see and rejoice in their merit. And we're attuned to them. And everybody at that moment. It's not just them. We're attuned to the whole universe. That's why it's so overwhelming. And overwhelming joy of 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 other of merit of 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 goodness. It's an attunement practice. Now, of course, sometimes (laughs) that you know, if you're I don't know what from this country, like maybe the United States, and that person's from Russia, and they're really skillful, you might hold back a little bit in your, in your joy of their virtue. Even though they just did this amazing thing, you might hold lack of attunement. When we're attuned, we, we feel joy for the virtues of Russians, Ukraines, Americans, and even French people. (laughs) Or as we say in Minnesota, even Norwegians. (laughs) So let me know if you want to hear any uh, Minnesota jokes. I'll I'll let you know. So those are, again, those are the first five, right? Now here comes another one. It's called sometimes number six. (laughs) Comes right after five in the list. And what is it again? Do you remember what number six is? It is, what? What? Right. Number six is... Requesting, requesting, or beseeching, or begging, or praying, what? That Buddhas will turn the wheel of Dharma. Not only Buddhas, all Buddhas, requesting that all Buddhas turn the wheel of Dharma. 
Is there a Buddha? Can you see a Buddha on this planet right now? If you can, it's not impossible. There's various Mahayana meditations where people in the they see Buddhas right now face to face. But in not when you're not in those states, you might not see a Buddha with your eyes. So anyway, here we have a Samantapadras. Maybe Samantapadras does see the Buddhas. I don't know. Anyway, this practice is put in there for us to consider whether we want to try this. Samantapadras is going to do it. And he didn't say that he can see the Buddhas. But I would just say to you, he did say that when you do this practice of requesting the Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma, and you do it wholeheartedly, and therefore you are in a tune with that practice, you are in tune with the mind of Buddha, you do see the Buddha. But those of us who do not see a Buddha, we may feel funny <laughs> requesting Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma when we don't see any, not to mention requesting innumerable Buddhas to turn innumerable Dharma wheels. You might feel funny requesting. But what we're requesting, you know, that's because we're a little bit out of attune with, with intimate transmission. Those Buddhas are in intimate transmission with us right now. Our request is to attune with, with it. They are turning the wheel of Dharma right now. Our request is to attune ourselves with the turning of the Dharma wheel by requesting it. The Buddhas are transmitting the Bodhisattva precepts right now. They're not waiting for us to request the Bodhisattva precepts. They're transmitting them right now. I see. And I hope to prove it to you soon. <laughs> see what I mean? There it is. <laughs> I didn't try to get that, but there it was, right? I wasn't trying to get any intimate transmission. Did you see it? Maybe you did. However, we have to attune to it. So how do we attune to it? Well, one way to attune to it, attune to what? Attune to the turning of the Dharma wheel of intimate transmission. How do we attune with it? Well, one way to attune with it is to request it. The, the Buddhas are transmitting the Bodhisattva precepts right now. How do we attune to it? Request it. They're already doing it. And if you're in attunement with it, no problem of, of requesting it. And if you're not in attunement with it, when you request it, you'll notice a, you might notice a little lack of attunement. But you might not. But that's why we have friends. The friends, when, when we make the request, the friend might say, could I ask you a question? You, did you just request the Bodhisattva precepts? And you say, yeah. Were you trying to get them? Um, well, yeah. 
Oh, okay. Back to number four. <laughs> <laughs> the Buddhists are transmitting the Bodhisattva precepts, but to attune to that transmission, we request it. And then in requesting, we can see if there's la- any lack of attunement, if we're trying to get anything. The Buddhas are turning the Dharma wheel. We don't request it in order to get them to turn the Dharma wheel. Did you get that? That's an unusual idea. We request it not to get them to do it. We request them to do it not to get them to do it. We request them to do it to attune to it. We request them to do it to drop any separation. <laughs> and that's, you know, like somebody said, why would you request something if you weren't trying to get it? I request something in order to attune to reality. I request to see if I can request without trying to get anything. Is that possible? I suggest it is. It is possible to say, would you please come a little closer? There's quite a few stories like that where the teacher says, would you come a little closer? The teacher's not trying to get anything. The teacher's trying to attune. And there's some places where the student says to the teacher, would you go a little farther away? (laughs) And they're not trying to get anything. They're just giving the teacher an interesting gift. And And they know that. And, that, and they're not trying to get anything. So again, this, this requesting the Buddhas to turn the will of Dharma is requesting them to keep doing what they're doing without trying to get them to do what they're doing. And it's done to attune ourselves to the turning of the wheel. So again, this... this uh, this request, this practice of requesting beings that we can't see to turn the wheel of intimate transmission which we can't see is a way to attune tune with it. And if it helps you at all, just realize that this is an ancient practice of attunement. This is not an ancient practice of trying to get something although people have been trying to get something for a long time, this practice is offered as a gift to help us give up trying to get. It's offered as a gift to help us attune to reality and give up trying to get anything. Well, there's, uh, there's four more. Is there only four more? Yeah. There's only four more. (laughs) Maybe I'll just do one more. It's kind of related. It's another request. So, six and and seven are requests. (laughs) 
That's a mnemonic. Six and, six and seven are a request. And the second request is request the Buddhas to stay in the world. Well, again, they're already in the world. It's not like, oh yeah, they're asking them to stay. And they are going to stay. However, if we don't ask them to stay, it's like they're not here. You may have noticed that Shakyamuni Buddha isn't here, right? <laughs> that historical Buddha is gone, right? Have you noticed that? <laughs> and I don't know. Dog is gone, right? Bodhidharma is bye-bye. Dogen Zenji is gone, right? Wouldn't it be nice to meet him? Can I ask you some questions about the Strobogenzo? <laughs> well, you don't speak English? Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Still, Suzukarashi is gone, right? Everybody knows that. If any of those people I mentioned are Buddhists, I request that they stay. In other words, why would I ask them to stay if they weren't already here? So, I, can, well, I think I'll maybe ask Suzuki Rishi to stay too. And I'm going to ask Dogen to stay. Can I ask them to stay without trying to get anything? I think I can. Now you might say, well, that's easy to ask him to stay because you, you, know, you don't think you're going to get what you're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's another, uh, it's another practice of intimate transmission that you're asking the Buddhists to stay. And the Lotus Sutra says, they are staying. As a matter of fact, the Buddhist that's talking to you in the sutra is saying, I'm still here. <laughs> but if you don't practice right, you're not going to see me. I could show myself but I'm not going to show myself until you learn how to ask me to come without trying to get anything. If you sit upright and you're relaxed and open and harmonious and honest, like honest about, for example, that you're trying to get something, you'll see me. I'm already here. However, uh, The Buddha who said that was requested to stay in the world, even though he never left. So, those are seven. Maybe that's enough. There's seven practices of Samantabhadra. Which I'm proposing to, to look at them as attunement practices, attunement, there are ways to take care of the intimate transmission. And the main way to take care of it is to not get distracted from it. You know, we say we will renounce, when we hear the true Dharma, we will renounce worldly affairs. We will not renounce getting distracted from this Buddha mind intimate transmission. And one way to get distracted is to try to get it. Another way to distract it is to for, be distracted is to forget to take care of it. And that's another part of the grandmother mind. Grandmothers do not forget their grandchildren. 
and, they, and it's easy for them not to forget. They don't try to remember. It's not like, remember, grandchildren, grandchildren, grandchildren. grandchildren. <laughs> Do not forget the grandchildren. <laughs> they don't talk like that. <laughs> you just go, grandchildren, grandchildren, grandchildren. Just like Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. Dharma, Dharma, Dharma. Sangha, Sangha. And when we get distracted, that's a worldly affair. But then we have a practice for that. I got distracted from Buddha. And I'm sorry. But now I'm doing Buddha practice again. I, I confess I'm trying to get some approval. So I have another big topic, but we have one more day so I can bring up... I mean, besides the next three, does it, and they're really big three, <laughs> do all the practices that Buddhists have done become intimate with all sentient beings and dedicate the merit? These are three big ones. But before... I also have another even bigger thing to bring up tomorrow. But if I bring it up now, we won't have lunch. <laughs> so you know, I think we should we should pay homage to to the kitchen crew and eat the food they made for us, even though we don't really need it. We do need to pay homage to the kitchen crew and make an offering to them by going and eating the food that they might have made for us, and eat it in that really you know complicated way. <laughs> Okay, so I think that's enough for today. Maybe too much even. Or maybe just right. We're trying to be like Goldilocks, right? That's just right. By the way, thanks for coming close. Even though we were intimate when you were spread out through the universe, I appreciate you coming close. All the better to see you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we say to Goldilocks, right? <laughs> all the be- Actually, all the better to see It wasn't Goldilocks, was it? Red Riding Hood. All the better to see you, Red Riding Hood. <laughs> So if anybody wants to make any offerings without trying to get anything, and someone might say, that's a high bar.